Hello, friends. Welcome to Silo Busting. I'm your host, Allison Coton, an interaction designer at EPAM Continuum. Okay, stand up. Go ahead, do it. I'll wait. Now clap. Do it. I can tell if you're not. Nice. That standing ovation is for a new class of students, and if you're listening to this, you're probably one of them. I'm speaking, of course, about the millions of us across the globe who've spent the last five months or so learning on the job in a crazy, unplanned digital tools boot camp, often not of our choosing. Give yourself a hand. You've earned it. From managing teams remotely to running formerly in-person workshops online across time zones, the biggest challenge we've all encountered is around building connections. We need tools that help us think, communicate, argue, and create together, all skills we took for granted when we worked in the same space. What I've learned is that the people who survive, and dare we hope thrive, under these conditions are willing to risk publicly fumbling with unfamiliar tools and workflows to collaborate effectively in this new normal, to learn by doing and to make the tools of our new digital reality work for them. That's the mindset Sandra Lachlan, our head of learning practice, and Jet Agarwal, VP of Enterprise Products, are looking to cultivate. And if we're lucky, it's what Quarantine Technology Bootcamp is teaching us all to do. In this latest episode of Silo Busting, Sandra and Jit talk resiliency and digital skill building with our own Ken Gordon. Let's talk about the tools and technologies that have proven essential during the pandemic, guys. What are the necessary COVID-19 pieces of tech that are out there? How are people learning to use them? And are they, generally speaking, doing a good job of instructing themselves? I think, um, obviously, what we've noticed in this uh, this remote or, or um, hybrid world that we're in is the extremely rapid adoption and utilization of remote collaboration technologies, Zoom, Teams, et cetera, et cetera, lots of different examples of that. Obviously, uh, organizations and individuals have had to ramp up very quickly on that. I know, for example, at EPAM, we went to all remote in uh, with 98% of our, 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 our talent pool in three days, which mm-hmm. is uh, pretty darn pretty darn fast. Um, but that's one area of technologies and tools that have really come into play. And that's sort of an obvious one. I think there's a lot of other collaboration tools that are out there that perhaps customers uh, or users, I should say, or, or individuals are not as familiar with. And, and they really are, you know, very much more uh, popular today, much more useful today, whether it's file collaboration and things like Dropbox or Box or using uh, boards, digital boards, communication boards like a Miro or a a Miral. Um, These are kinds of technologies that uh, a lot of organizations um, and individuals might not be familiar with. Uh, And then, of course, there's all of that virtual interaction and, and, and socialization um, obviously, there's social media, but a lot of the business platforms like LinkedIn might be examples of where people haven't necessarily been spending a lot of their time pre-pandemic, but perhaps now in the in this era, they're spending a lot more time there. And last but not least, from an upskilling perspective, if you think about it, there's a lot of remote learning capabilities and technologies out there since in, in person or in class is, is limited, if non-existent. And so things like uh, Linda or Khan Academy or, or you know other tools are also out there in a big way. And I think a lot of, of individuals have started to explore and, and to use those technologies to advance themselves during the pandemic. So that would be my my take. Sandra? Oh, I, I tend to agree with all of those. Um, I think the, the part of the question that really kind of piqued my ear was um, how are people learning to use them and are they doing a good job of teaching themselves? Mm-hmm. And I think... Um, this is maybe particularly salient because uh, just today, I, I watching my husband work from home, um, I saw two really interesting examples of um, 
rapid like self-instruction and, and learning. Um, when he was facilitating a team of almost 35 people and he had to break them into small kind of groups of three for discussion using kind of the Zoom breakout tool. Um, my husband, who has never used Zoom before, I was actually really impressed to see him um, make that leap. But then, you know, 15 minutes later, he had a hot mic moment when the dog was chasing him and he dropped his computer and said, cursed on the line. So I think that <laughs> what I've seen, at least, and certainly um, this is an example of what I've, I've seen in my own meetings and, and also in talks with clients, is that people are doing a great job, actually, of learning um, how to kind of recreate some of the interactivity in um, a real-time space virtually. Um, they tend to do that by teaching themselves and, and, and through trial and error. And for the most part, it's, it's been successful. But I think with technology, it, you're going to have these little oops moments all the time. And I don't think that is going to, uh, to change, unfortunately. Yeah, it seems like the ability to learn is is an absolute necessity, even more than it had previously been. And, and I think it probably puts a certain amount of stress on people. And for those who are able to sort of deal with it, they can get through that. And for others, it might be a, a truly problematic moment. Do you think that the the, um, the necessity of learning is bringing those kind of pressures to bear on people now? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, I mean... I- when I when I think about the the pandemic, I, I sometimes think about the layers of stress that everyone is experiencing, um, and I think one that we don't talk much about, but you know, I certainly feel, and I and I see people around me feel, is the pressure of having to learn new technologies on the fly in front of other people, in front of your team and your boss or your clients. Yeah, um, that's just a whole other layer of stress, but. Um, you know, in the in the learning world, we talk about something called facilitative anxiety, and that's the concept of um, people learn best when there is a, there's a little bit of risk involved in not learning. And so, I think um, you know, if you had tried to teach me or anyone else all the technologies, I don't know, ten months ago, none of us would have cared. I think as much as we all all care now. Yeah, no, there's a there's an idea that's kicking around out there called live learning, and I feel like um, for those who've been sort of deep into social media, this is this is nothing really new. But for people who've done most of their business, you know, behind closed doors and in conference rooms, it's it's a new thing, and I think it requires um, a certain mind uh, frame, which which reminds me of something that Jit wrote. He said, in a long-term remote by design world, what happens online tends to become your corporate reality. And then he adds that we need to develop the right mindset for creating a virtual present. Jit, can you talk a little bit about that mindset and how um, one might create it, what's required to create it? Sure. Absolutely. Can do, Ken. And in fact, I was just thinking about what you guys were talking about. I, I think that mindset um, is uh, often uh, one of our board members uses the term FIO, figure it out, right? He's really, that's the kind of skill and capability he's, he's talking about. And I think as, as you and Sandra were talking about the need for learning and how it's driving uh, a lot of our, our actions, I think that's absolutely the mindset pivot that, that people have now been, you know, for better or for worse, have been put into where they have to figure it out. They're, they're, you know, they may be left to their own devices. They largely are left to their own devices. And so they've, they've got to figure it out. And that's, the mindset, part of that mindset pivot and shift is I'm in this situation. I've got to keep, uh, uh, you know, be productive, add value, do what I need to keep moving the ball forward. And so 
oftentimes, like you said, Sandra, people are left to to literally figuring it out in front of colleagues and 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 coworkers and and even their bosses. And that can be, you know, like you said, a little bit a little bit risky. The other side of that mindset, though, I think is them, and I believe that that everybody wants to rise to the challenge and does. And so that mindset of, hey, you know, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to overcome this. I'm going to show my mastery and capability to succeed despite the barriers and obstacles that either technology or the environment or the or the pandemic and the lockdown or the working cadence or the inability to have that face-to-face contact with individuals. All of these represent barriers of some kind and the mindset of, of figuring it out and, and superseding those and figuring out, okay, how can I do that? How can I succeed? What does that look like? What does success look like? And how do I emulate that? And how do I ensure that I'm really demonstrating both to myself and to my, my organization that I have the ability to, to succeed? I'm deploy, deploying the right methodologies. I'm thinking about how I break down a challenge or an obstacle and I systematically address it and, and really kind of pierce that veil so that I'm out there with the successful result. I think those are all the mindset challenges that I'm seeing out there, Ken, and, and I'm talking to customers and and the, the thing our, our colleagues and their coworkers and employees are struggling with and also conquering. Sandra, you have anything to add about uh, the mindset madness? Oh, well, I think madness is exactly the right word. I think there's, um, you know, you, you mentioned a number of like really critical aspects of mindset. I think there are, um, there are others and, and actually one, um, a couple that come, that come to mind immediately are the new mindset that managers and leaders are taking um, in this remote work environment, I think, you know, as we all, all know, there's been a lot of um, concern with with clients around having remote teams, and now, you know, that's no longer an option. And what people are learning is, I think, a different mindset of management. Instead of thinking about seat time or or being visible, their focus is shifting to outcomes. Um, so instead of you know just seeing someone in meetings. And, and assuming, you know, work is happening and value is being created, shifting that to, to seeing their deliverables and the quality of those um, is, is a kind of, I think, a very cool outcome of, of this pandemic. And I think that goes hand in hand with this new mindset around trusting and empowering employees. Um, this is actually two points that I, um, I saw yesterday in an article that were created, uh, that was created by um, the CEO of Siemens. And I thought it just did a fantastic job of distilling this new mindset for, from management um, and what is required now from, from a skill standpoint to ensure that leaders are able to continue to move the organization forward during this time. And Ken, if I just add in to what you guys are talking about, I, I think you're absolutely right, Sandra. It went, the pendulum has swung from, hey, we're all remote. Am I going to get productivity to, hey, wow, my folks are being overproductive and am I going to get burnout? And I yes. think that that mindset shift mm. is absolutely there now and represents that the, the, the figure it out phenomenon, not just happening, but happening in, with steroids, right? With spades. And so it, it's almost now, hey, wait a minute, am I going to you know, tap out my talent pool rather than am I going to get the productivity or the outcome that I was looking for? Yeah, I, I I could not agree more. That's the other side of this coin. Coin, as we all know, it's like I worked from home for for years, and so this is not new. Um, it's something that certainly I and I know my team have been struggling with for years. This is this is how we live our lives. You know, we might 
take our kids to um, to piano practice at 4.30, but we're answering emails at 10 o'clock at night. Um, and so that just creates a very different mindset from an organizational standpoint, from a leadership standpoint, but also from an employee standpoint. Um, having um, the mindset of creating value and, and making sure that you're moving your work forward and, and, and being productive, but also balancing that with the need to keep yourself and your family, you know, calm and secure and happy and, and, and well-balanced. That's great. I was wondering if you guys want to think for a minute about sort of the general um, collection of skills that people really need to acquire right now, besides that sort of uh, improvisational flexibility. Is there anything else that you are picking up on that really matters in terms of the 21st century worker um, having access to certain kind of skills? And if you could think of those and maybe what's the best way to acquire them? Boy, that's a, there's a lot of skills I think that are, um, that our clients and certainly, you know, even internally at EPAM, we are um, really focusing on and ensuring that we have the right support structures and, um, and opportunities in place. I think, you know, the agility, not, not just in the delivery of work, but in the mindset, how you are um, able to switch gears and, and think in new ways, um, create quick value and then check progress with others. I think that's, that's something that um, is going to be a hallmark of, of this kind of transformed space going forward. I think another one is resilience. Um, I think we've kind of talked around that point, but Mm -hmm. that's a a really critical um, term and, um, and kind of an orientation that I, I really wish more people kind of, thought about and explicitly addressed. Um, resilience is something that, you know, in some roles hasn't really been a, ma- a major factor. Um, but now in this remote world, the same work requires a very different approach and the ability to bounce back um, and bounce in between things. Um, so those are certainly two that I would lay out. Jed, what do you think? I would add just a little bit to that, Sandra. I absolutely agree with what you're saying. Agility and resilience are are critical. I think maybe what others might want to think about, what what our listeners may want to think about, is their industry and their company, and and think about their role and what kind of shifts are happening in the marketplace. They're probably better placed to know their industry, company, and role and shifts, and then consequently doing some research to figure out, okay based on where I'm at and what the analysts and experts and industry mavens are saying, this is where I need to expand my skill set and competencies and capabilities to stay ahead of the curve. Because that's ultimately what you want to do is not just be agile and resilient, but you want to stay ahead of the curve so that you can always have a skill set, a capability that's relevant, meaningful, um, and, and, and cutting edge for your business, for your role, so that you can continue to succeed and even exceed your expectations and the organization's expectations. And, and it's really impossible to, to talk about that without focusing in on what your particular role is, your company, your industry. So I think if people not only keep the, the agility and resilience in mind, but think about how they're going to really have that bleeding edge skill set by looking at their industry and, and determining where that's headed, they can stay ahead of the curve. Yeah, that's awesome. Jit, we've talked, uh, you and I have talked offline about the sort of self-reliance 
that's that's coming to the fore now and i think that's that's very much true people do have um the opportunity and the responsibility to just sort of take um the initiative in their own self education i think it's a really big and good point i would like to ask both of you speaking of which what do you think i mean jit you'd mentioned khan academy and lynda.com I was thinking also about sort of like masterclass and YouTube and all the different sort of options that are available online for online learning. Sandra, uh, do you see these models as sort of the future of digital education or are they a sort of detour, uh, an unfortunate detour? What what do you see in these particular different, because they're all very different and and people are all very popular, but I'd be curious from your um, expertise, your expert opinion, what you think about them. So that's very, it's very interesting. Um, like now with the pandemic, I think corporations are talking a lot about these online learning um, opportunities, these online resources. You know, in, in back in the day, not even probably seven years ago, higher education was thinking about these exact same resources and asking themselves, like, is this the, is this the future? Is this the end of education as we know it? Um, and I guess, you know, spoiler, things haven't changed that much. Um, and that's because pure online um, asynchronous learning is um, an extremely valuable aspect of an effective learning environment. But what the research clearly shows consistently across industries and age groups is that online content in and of itself does not translate into learning. Um, you know, the best Khan Academy or lynda.com videos, like those are essentially an animated textbook. And a textbook is is essential. Like you need to have right. the content in order to learn from it. Um, but what I think a lot of people miss in this, um, in the rush toward a purely self-serve kind of online education model is the fact that learning is by definition transactional. Um, you need to, as a learner, um, receive information in the form of a textbook or an online video or whatever. Um, but then the real learning happens when you try it and then get feedback from someone who is more knowledgeable than you. Um, and I, you know, right now this is a, a bit of a challenge because the, the live synchronous, you know, real time learning, um, opportunities are, are very limited. Um, they can be done obviously virtually in, in, in a kind of a synchronous environment. Um, but some things, frankly, are best learned in person. And so, yes, uh, Linda and Masterclass and, and, you know, Coursera and edX, these are all incredibly valuable resources. But in and of them, themselves, no, they are not the future of education, digital or otherwise. <laughs> they can't be. Um, now, JIT, uh, you have suggested that it's a really good idea for people to look at what the market leaders are doing and then, quote, methodically adopt those attributes, skills, and capabilities of the leaders that fit your models and needs. What do you think about this advice, Sandra? Uh, does this seem like a, the, the idea of looking to these sort of narratives about uh, the, the leaders' uh, successes as something to sort of read, think about, analyze, and then adopt as an educational um, mode? That's actually a that's a really interesting question. I would say my initial reaction is yes, but um, I think that there are attributes, skills, and capabilities that are universal. Um, that regardless of your industry, regardless of your role, these are things that you should absolutely be emulating and um, and 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 adapting to your purpose. But I also think that there is something to be said for individual styles. Um, and certainly, 
you know, individual styles in relation to a corporate culture and an industrial um, approach. So I think, you know, yes. Um, but I would also look, I would say, more closely at leaders in, in industries that are similar to yours and in organizations that are, are a bit similar to not to say that you shouldn't be breaking out of how your company has been doing things for a long time or how you have been doing them. Um, but finding things that are kind of core to your strength area and building on those is, is, is always a recipe for success. Nice. Jit, rebuttal? Not at all. I, in, no, not at all. In fact, you know that in the, in the article, I actually said exactly what Sandra just said, that look at the leaders in your industry um, look at the the folks that are succeeding in what you do and in, in either in your role or in your industry or vertical. So I absolutely agree with that. I And the other side of that is I also said, take a look at the laggards, right? Learn from their mistakes so that, you know, you're going to make your own mistakes, right? And And we all are. But it would be really nice if you made mistakes that others didn't make, like, you know, make them your own. Um, and, and you'll learn a lot from them and a lot more from them. But but why not learn from others' mistakes, right? Um, whether it's uh, Chevrolet in the in the older days launching a car called Nova in the Latin American region, when Nova means no go in Latin American in the in that Spanish language, so you, you you're selling a car that basically says it doesn't run. Um, obviously, perhaps not the best strategy. So <laughs> um, you know, so again, I'm just using a, a silly example, but the point is learn from the mistakes of others as well as their successes, so that you can model. What works for you, your organization, your approach? Everybody rolls their own uh, in terms of their approach. So, so definitely agree with Sandra 100% that make it your own, right? Don't just uh, mimic without uh, adopting or adapting the it to your style. Cool. Now let's talk a little bit about mentoring and what role mentoring does or might play in the sort of reskilling game. Have you got any thoughts about um, where mentoring fits in here? I think it's it's exactly what I had kind of articulated earlier, the idea that learning happens best when you perform some task or um, you, you, know, you put your learning into action and someone that has more experience or more knowledge than you checks it out and gives you feedback. Um, to me, you know, the, the real uh, future of digital education is that combination of content delivery in a kind of virtual format and then intensive coaching or mentoring, hands-on support um, from someone in, in your organization. Um, that is, I think, something that I expect to see a lot of interest in um, from clients in the next year or so. I think this will become very obvious. Um, and what I think their, their question is going to be is how they can kind of scale this approach in, mm -hmm. in a meaningful way. Uh, did you have a, a mentor in your career that you could point to, Sandra? Oh, I've had so many, and I, I keep having them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's, I mean, it's because, well, I don't know, maybe I'm just too too excited to ask for help sometimes. But um, I learned long ago that you get somewhere a lot faster if you can kind of phone a friend and, and have somebody kind of help you avoid some pitfalls before you kind of jump in. Um, but yeah, I think, I mean, even right now, I would say that I have a couple of them and one of them is definitely JIT. So thank you. Oh, <laughs> well, thank you. Um, have you, have I, you JIT? Well, I'm just going to say uh, thank you, Sandra. <laughs> but um, 
I I actually think that the mentee benefits are pretty well understood, but perhaps the mentor benefits are not, right? And and maybe not readily apparent. And if more mentors understood the benefits, I think they'd more readily sign up. Well, first of all, I think the fact that you've been in those shoes helps you have the empathy to understand and and makes you able to better uh, better connect with your mentee, and and that really is valuable. In addition, it expands your data set, your pool set, the collective knowledge and learning, because if you're helping mentees with their challenges, you're you're seeing new problems and new applications and new cases where perhaps the skills and things that you knew could be applied differently and, and, and get a benefit out of that. So mm-hmm. it's more data making it you know a more relevant experience for you and for them. And last but not least, I think you really can demonstrate can revalidate for yourself the, your own mastery of the of whatever it is the topic uh, by being able to, to help someone else through it right it, it helps kind of you know renew that that uh, that part of your cycle and your training and, and your education uh, if, if I'm not wrong I think in in Covey's uh, seven habits of highly effective people I think one of them if I'm not wrong the last one is about renewing that you know that that process right so I think for a, for a mentor it, it, there's the benefit there as well and 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 if if more of them realized it more of them would step up and as Sandra said that's really what we need as part of the scaling of of the solution is having everybody kind of come to the table and bring their skills and contribute to the success of everybody else that's what I've seen Go on. I've seen some really great um, organizations who are addressing exactly what Jed has articulated, not just thinking about it from the mentee perspective, but from the mentor perspective. And honestly, being a mentor is one of the best leadership training programs that you can have. Um, and I, I, I would agree totally with Jed in, in terms of um, there's a, a saying that, you know, teaching someone else is the best way to learn. Um, and it, it mm-hmm. really is about reinforcing those skills. Um but what I've seen organizations doing that I, I think is, is fantastic and it should be more broadly adopted is building mentoring into leadership training programs and mm-hmm. into leadership progression pathways. Um, you know, if you, if you can mentor others, you're going to learn your stuff better. You're going to grow your own interpersonal skill set and you're going to help someone along the way. So it's, it's to me a big win-win um, yeah. and I expect to see a lot more of that soon. I love it. It's a virtuous uh, cycle of education. It really makes a lot of sense. Okay, here's the last question. <clears throat> it's a little personal. I'd like to ask you both how the pandemic has changed your own attitude to your own skills. And have you added any new skills since we've all been locked down? Does so performing I- in chaos count as a skill? <laughs> Maybe, if you explain it. <laughs> Well, I don't know. I think um, I'm sure this, this is, I'm not alone. A lot of people have had to deal with major life changes. So I had to move in the midst of, of the pandemic and, you know, juggling dogs and kids while sitting outside of Starbucks trying to capture their Wi-Fi because we couldn't go inside. I mean, I think just <laughs> the idea of learning how to kind of proceed in the face of kind of intense stress um, in, in, like not not long term stress, but very immediate stress is something that I have definitely grown in my ability to do, and I I doubt I'm alone in that. Yeah, yeah. No, you've learned to juggle. I think that's a, that's a legit skill. Um, how about you, Jit? Um, you know, I I, I I would say that my skill isn't necessarily as as neat as Sandra Sandra's, but um, 
you know, I, I have, uh, as a result of the pandemic and, and been in lockdown and thinking about kind of the circumstances and what, what people are dealing with and, and empathizing it with, uh, with a friend of mine called Ken Gordon, um, started this blog series. And I think that was a, I don't want to say it was an, a, a reskill or more of a brushing off of an old skill and kind of updating it, which, you know, in, in many ways is upskilling, right? And I think that's another way to think about it is just look back at your skills that you have that perhaps you have an exercise like a muscle uh, that you need to and, and, and get it back in shape. And so that for me has been during this pandemic time, the most, uh, the most interesting reskilling, upskilling that I've done is, is getting back in the saddle and, and kind of putting these blogs out there as, as a way to think through perhaps collectively, individually, how we're, we're all struggling and dealing with the pandemic and how perhaps um, we can do it a little bit better together. That's awesome. And thank you. And this has been a really great conversation. I have learned a lot and I really appreciate you both taking the time uh, to chat. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Jit. Thank you, guys. This has been Silo Busting, a podcast from EPAM Continuum. EPAM Continuum integrates business, experience, and technology consulting focused on accelerating breakthrough ideas into meaningful impact. Why do we do this? Because real opportunities aren't siloed. Thanks to Sandra Lachlan and Jit Agarwal for their great conversation. Cheers to Kit Palalas, our sound engineer extraordinaire, for getting this podcast recorded. Applause to Ken Gordon, our producer, for all his masterminding behind the scenes. I'm your host, Allison Coton, and I'm off to add Instagram filters to my team's video.